Welcome, I am Bree. I'm a doctor of physical therapy, the founder of Femme Fusion Fitness, and the author of Lady Bits, Understand Your Body, Elevate Your Health, and Reclaim Your Spark Naturally. My mission is to build community and awareness around women's wellness and pelvic health. I invite you to listen, laugh, learn about, and love all of the bits that make you whole. Let's go to the show. Hello friends. Hey, before we dive into this week's episode with Dan Baines, this is, this is incredible. Prepare yourself. My jaw actually dropped open kind of onto the floor as he described a technique that can help you potentially move better if you have scar tissue, C-section, episiotomy, etc. So watch for that or listen for that. I should say it's coming. You're, you're going to love this interview. Uh, But I want to actually just share two reviews that are new, and I want to thank everyone for their wonderful ratings and reviews, and also for subscribing to my podcast on Apple Podcasts and, and for all the different listening platforms. But I know Apple is kind of the big one, and every time I get a subscription and also a, a review and rating, it really helps get my work in front of more people. And so I just wanted to thank these two recent podcasts that I'm uh, going to read to you now. They're nice and quick, but I want to share them. So one is from Tess JD, and it says, informative and kind. I feel like I've been given a gift as we move into t- 2021. Dr. Bree's podcast, in a single word, is relevant to women. This podcast has provided great information on topics that were never spoken of in my younger years. As I go through menopause, I feel like I have a kind guide to answer so many questions. I can't wait to share with other women. And thank you so much for that. That, oh, every single review I get, I read them all. Even if I don't read them on air, I read them all and I feel them in my heart. So thank you, Tess. And from um, Oatmeal G, I love that. I do love oatmeal. Oatmeal G says, I first learned of Dr. Bree via a YouTube video my women's health PT sent me about doing pelvic floor strengthening. Since we were in the times of early COVID-19 and our in-person PT visit wasn't possible, her videos paired with my televisits were an amazing help. I'm currently recovering from surgical prolapse repair and plowing through the podcast, the book, and her videos. So glad you're out there. Ah, thank you, thank you, thank you. It makes me so happy just imagining you. I I literally do. I spend moments where I imagine helping a global community of women who are just going through these things that are real life. They're real life issues that we deal with. And sometimes we can feel really alone when we're dealing with these pelvic health concerns, which are such a big deal. The root of our body is a big, big deal. And so I'm, I'm really glad to be here for you as a resource and to talk about some really interesting, you know, things related to pelvic health and even some kind of new developments in different treatment strategies and styles, which is what today's podcast is all about. So I'm going to let you just dive in and listen on your own, but Dan Baines has uh, treated me to this amazing interview where he shares his work as an osteopath working with women and specifically around, well, he works with women and men, but we're talking specifically today about scar tissue, such as episiotomy scars and C-section scars comes into it a lot too, and how it changes your movement, your patterns of movement. And like I said earlier, my jaw dropped on the floor when he told me a simple, simple thing that he does with women to see how their movement changes when they do this one simple thing. So listen to it. And if you like this episode, I encourage you to check out the show notes because 
Dan is going to, he provides me some videos that I'm going to link to in the show notes. So check for those. But also I think that you'd really also enjoy the podcast that I, that I did with Anna Kroll about scar tissue and prolapse and also the the interview that I did with Christine Koth about the iliacus and digestion and pelvic health. So I will at least put the episode numbers for both of those. I really think you're going to get a lot out of them if you're interested in what Dan has to say. I mean, really, it just all goes to the fact that, first of all, the entire body is connected. And secondly, the impact that our nervous system has on how we function even years and years and years after an initial injury or, you know, trauma. So let's go ahead and dive in. I hope you enjoy the show. And again, check out the show notes. All right. Welcome, my friends. Today, I have a really cool interview that actually was uh, brought to me by one of my FemFusion followers. She said, you've got to reach out to Dan Baines. He is an osteopath in the United Kingdom. He has quite a story and quite a quite a lot of specialties. But one thing that he focuses on that caught her attention and mine was the impact of episiotomy on gait. So the impact of scar tissue on how you walk. And Dan specializes in, in this as part of his practice. Obviously he does, he does a lot of things, but this is one thing that he works with a lot of episiotomies and we are going to get into why that is, how scar tissue can affect your whole body, including the way you walk and more. And so Dan, if you can just kind of introduce yourself, maybe share a little bit about your amazing specialties, osteopathy, and then also hypnotherapy, dance. Oh my gosh, tell us everything. How did you get here? Right. Well, look, thanks for, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, it's been a, been an interesting kind of meandering journey through. I, I started off as a, an architect originally, um, and then I was became a dancer as I was doing that and, and retrained at a place called Northern School of Contemporary Dance. Um, ended up dancing for probably 12, 15 years. Um, ended up touring a lot with a show called Stomp, which... Uh, Used to go all around the world. Um, great show, but a really easy show to end up doing yourself a bit of mischief in. So after doing that for about seven years, uh, I decided that my body wouldn't quite get me out of bed the way it used to. So I changed profession and uh, I spoke to a physio friend of mine who said osteopathy has a very holistic view of everything. And uh, if she was to do her training again, she would probably have gone down the osteopathic route. So off I trundled down that route, uh, five years of training, came out, learned some wonderful skills, some palpation skills, um, all sorts of good stuff. But the, the missing part for me was movements. Um, I'd been working as an athletic trainer um, sort of like for a while. And that, that bit just didn't quite make sense. Somebody was using their body a lot. Um, I was seeing some, some great results, sometimes some fantastic results, um, but quite often, uh, it didn't kind of stick, it didn't stay, and uh, it didn't impair people to, to be able to go out and, and work, heal themselves. So then another little route down, and, and basically all these different places, I've kind of ended up by mistake, including episiotomy stuff, which is a whole other story, um, but uh, ended up going down movements, kinesiology, um, and hypnotherapy, which was a total mistake, um, but just the way it brings your nervous system down. 
um, which is such a healing place for so many different things. Uh, I thought if you do nothing else with hypnotherapy apart from calm people down, what a wonderful tool to have. Uh, so, yeah, basically purely selfish motivation to find out how to fix my body. But along the way, just learned some really wonderful things, uh, which now I fuse together and it doesn't look a great deal like osteopathy anymore. But uh, I guess underneath it, those same principles still stand true. I love that. And I'm such a fan and believer in motion is lotion, movement heals. And so I love that you've, you've really, you've really gotten stepped away from kind of the piecemeal approach that can happen in traditional, more medical <clears throat> models where you're treating an issue and you've really stepped back to look at the whole picture. That's one thing that always got to me about um, my career field as well was I felt like you could go toward more of a piecemeal, piece by piece approach. And I didn't like that. I thought, no, we need to get people moving their entire body in all directions, not just doing a few isolated exercises and some, you know, manual therapy on the spot that hurts. So yeah, yeah I, I love this. And I yeah. want to know why is it that episiotomies became kind of a, kind of a, are they a focus of your practice or is it just a special interest of yours? So I would say neither really. Um, when someone comes in, I, I take a really good case history. Everything for me starts with a case history because I guess one of the principal um, beliefs in osteopathy is you're born with this kind of inherent health. And it, it's not always complete for everyone, but if we take it as most of the time, you've got this, this wonderfully um, adaptive system. And then over time, you just lose some of the adaption. And what I find, and, and men using the kinesiology for this actually, because it does send you down roots. And the roots that 99% of the time I'm sent down is an old injury history, um, a trauma of some kind to the mind or to the body, um, which then sets up a, a kind of a new equilibrium, a new normal. And then things start to snowball from that. So if I see someone, and I do a lot in Hastings actually, 70s, 80s, 90s, their bodies have run out of compensation um, over time. And that's why treating a, a, like my son, who's now 10 months, but when he was a baby, he came out, he had the, the suction, he had the cord right around his neck, he would only breastfeed from one side. And we treated the, the cords, um, the, the trauma around the hyoids and everything, and all of a sudden he was sucking from both sides. Wow. Um, it was that quick. It was seconds worth of work as opposed to coming back and doing a lot of different things. So I, I think that nervous system of a child is just so resilient and got so much wiggle room to, to adapt. Um, where were we? Episiotomies, that's it. How do I get into episiotomies? Um, so based around case histories, when people come in, the, the certain patterns which come through and each of those patterns entirely different. So someone's back pain is not the next person's back pain, even though the symptoms might be the same, but episiotomies seemed a, a pretty big deal. Um, they kept flagging up again and again for, for all sorts of different injuries that people would come in with. And then I ended up in uh, over in Canada with a, uh, with a fantastic um, physio, Diane Lee, Oh, yes. She's yeah. very, very well known yeah. in my world. Very, very well respected. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I went there looking for, for more information about the sacroiliac joints. Um, so I did a mentorship over there. A lovely lady. If you ever get a chance to, to study with her or read her books, I mean, she's incredible. 
And uh, suddenly I found myself as kind of a movement guy in a room with everybody was a, a female health therapist. Yeah. Um, and I was like, I'm not sure I've come to the right class here. Um, <laughs> but uh, then over, over the period of, I think I went back there for three times over the space of about half a year. And uh, we, we delved into to female, female health um, and the traumas from pregnancy and, and what have you. And, and I was flabbergasted, absolutely flabbergasted. As a guy, particularly as a guy who didn't have a child at that time, um, I knew none of this stuff. Yeah. Um, and you, you don't know to look for something until you know about it. Yeah. Um, so I guess that changed my practice when I came back. And uh, looking at, because I used to teach a lot of yoga instructors anatomy as well. Um, and again, we might have one guy and 30 girls in the class. And so as part of our exploration through the body, we teach anatomy very experientially. So uh, we start at the foot, see how it moves, see how it moves for them, how everyone's different. And we started to see patterns again with that. Um, and definitely through gates, there is a really, there, there's a few things that can happen where when the, the way that I look at a scar, which is kind of different, I think, to the way a lot of people look at a scar. Um, and yeah, there, there were these patterns which were coming through and it, it's fascinating to assess. And when you see, um, I think Diane McCora, a, a pelvis driver um, and how it affects the rest of the body, it's, it, you can't mistake it for anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my story into to, to kind of learning a bit about it and seeing it. And with, with everything, I do an experiment. Um, I use all the different skills that uh, that I've learned from people over the time and I kind of look in from all the different angles to see how they all kind of correlate in the middle because all, all these therapies are wonderful 80% of the time and 20% of the time or so they're useless so 80% of it has to be similar even though people might come with a with a different philosophy when they look in um, so I, I just love figuring out where the crossover is and perhaps trying to figure out where that 20% isn't quite, uh, isn't quite there. So it keeps me fascinated and scratching my head. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's kind of how uh, I started to figure this out. Took an idea and then looked at how it affects movement, how it affects muscle testing, um, how it affects different pains. And I'd love to talk about that, about how it affects movement. Um, I'd also, if, yeah, uh, let me, let me just kind of back up. I had pulled up a blog post of yours, Daniel. It's a, your blog post about uh, the pelvic floor and episiotomy. And I'll probably, do I have your permission to share that in the show notes? Yeah, of course you do. No okay. Problem. Yeah. Yeah, I'll do that. But I just want to read a line from this blog post. It says here, imagine for one moment that you are a pelvic floor with an incision down the right side and a right hip fascially connected to it. Would you choose to stretch and expose the surgery or protect it and keep it closed? And I love that because to me, I, I want to talk about that. So episiotomy, if you're if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know what it is, but it's an incision that that some people have when they're giving birth to allow the baby to pass out more easily. At least that is the theory <laughs> behind episiotomy. Basically, it usually it's, it's cut down one side. And so that will be causing problems, scar tissue ultimately in your pelvic floor muscles. So I love the way you put that line. It just makes it so easy to understand about how that really could impact the way you move. So can you explain a little more about 
that connection and, and walking specifically? Absolutely. Um, so first of all, if, if we rewind just a tiny bit, I wrote that um, from the perspective of a man never having had an episiotomy. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of scar tissue and in terms of movements, that's, that's what I'm saying. Then uh, when having treated so many people with this and thinking, my work is up, first of all, there's a lot of episiotomies out there. And secondly, how much of a ripple effect they were having through. Then uh, when my wife gave birth to little Oscar and uh, we did it mainly through, well, we, I like to say we, but she did it mainly through hypnobirthing. I, I kind of like coached her through the process and we practiced and uh, it, it really did help a lot. But little Oscar, bless him, he decided he really did not want to come out. He was happy in there. There was no distress, but he, he was staying in there. So the doctors decided that they were going to kind of take control of the situation, which I, I guess that's why they're there for. Um, and she had to have an episiotomy. Mm-hmm. And as it, it was, I think it's, it's kind of a different trauma, but it, it's very traumatic for the bloke as well. Um, but I, I opted to, to ask if it was okay to, to go down and see the surgery because I've treated a lot, but never seen it. Um, so I knew exactly where the incision was. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it, it was, it works, but it's, I think it's good to have the option there, yeah. but I'm not sure how often the surgeons see um, the problem afterwards. So, so Magda struggled to walk, she struggled to pick up the baby. Uh, it's, it's, it's a big operation. Yeah. Um, so anyway, get away, getting away from that bit, uh, like I said, I think it, it's wonderful to have the option there. Um, but getting back to how I think it works with the hip, um, when it comes to the nerve receptors in the skull, the, there's various different nerve receptors. So things which sense heat, cold, vibration, um, nociception, which gets interpreted as pain, stretch, etc. Um, you end up with two options. One is you move away from an issue or one is you move towards it. So with nociception, if you think about putting your foot in a hot bath, you pretty quickly move your toe out of it. So you move away from that pain. Um, the same with emotional pain. Quite often you'll move away from it and never, never even look at it. Uh, but the other option is if it's something to do more with stretch, you don't want to move away from it. You keep it close. So imagine if you had a C-section and it was still healing. You probably wouldn't want to stick your arms up above your heads yeah. and reach from a high shelf. It would make no sense for you to do that. And your nervous system um, makes those nerve receptors hypersensitive to stretch because it wants to avoid that happening. Now, what I find is that straight away, but five years, 10 years, 20 years, 40 years, those nerve receptors are still hypersensitive. So the sensation might have changed and you're no longer aware that there's an issue there. In fact, I think with the episiotomies, a lot of people completely forget they ever had them. Yeah. Um, but then that kind of pattern is still in your nervous system. You're still moving away from pain or keeping close to something you don't want to stretch, which feels dangerous. Mm-hmm. So... Looking at a lot of people move, particularly with the yoga, the yoga teachers, uh, I was seeing two patterns. One is people are moving away from the episiotomy and one is they're moving towards it. So it's brilliant. I had my, 
my my kind of experiment there with all these girls coming through and we just we just figured it out and it was usually one of the two um and also to rotate your pelvis over the hip or away from the hip so in essence we call that internal or external rotation of the hip joint um we were seeing issues with that as well so that that kind of fascial tightness i guess you would call that traditionally um, and the gliding of the fascia, but also as well, when you think about the nervous system, we were looking at that. The, the muscles which were facilitated to move away, not lengthening, or the muscles which were inhibited, already being able to, to disappear back because they, they, uh, they weren't firing up in the right patterns. So the way we were finding out was we treated the nerve receptors and quite often the movement was changing completely. Well, and that's what I was just going to ask, like, how does this present? How does this look? And how would somebody maybe think to myself, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm going to watch myself walk or I'm going to watch myself move. And I think I'm seeing what Dan's talking about. Is there a, what does it look like? What could people be looking out for in themselves or others? Cool. So actually what I might do, I will video a little something mm -hmm. um, and I'll send you a link to this. Um, but if I describe it now, because uh, obviously visuals are, are a lot easier. As you step forwards, you see your pelvis moving from left to right. So it kind of glides across from left to right, but also it does a little drop. So it kind of tips like a seesaw from left to right. Um, and what I find quite often is because you have the tightness um, there in the pelvic floor, which comes down into the inside thighs, um, then it's stopping the pelvis moving the other way. So if you had an episiotomy on your right, we'll quite often see as you swing your left leg forwards to take a step, your pelvis doesn't want to shift across to follow it. So that's one of the things which I see quite often. The other thing you can do is if you just stand with your knees straight and we do what we call a, an anterior and a posterior tilt to the pelvis, which just means if you think of the pelvis as a bowl, um, you either pour water out of the front of the bowl, which is the anterior tilt, or try and pour it out the back of the bowl, which is the posterior. As you're tipping it to pour water out of the back, we start to see a rotation and a twist happen in that pelvis. And again, it's because of that, that, I guess you're, you're traditionally called that tightness in the hip, just pulling it so that they can't move equally. Mm -hmm. And then with some of Diane's work as well, um, you would see that if you rotate into your pelvis to the left and to the right, you would see a knock-on effect with the bones. Um, so how the spine would rotate, et cetera, how the pelvis would do a little nod on either side. And quite often, the, the, the femur, the thigh bone at the top, which should start to rock forwards um, on that trail leg. If I rotate it to the left, that right femur would move forwards. It stays stuck back. So there's this incongruent movement, um, which all points to the, 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 the area. Um, now, the way that, that uh, the people listening at home can figure this out is to find a movement. And again, I'll show you a, a video with some of them. And again, I'm not 100% sure why this works, but it's a pretty mind-blowing experience when you do it. You place your hand lightly over the scar tissue if you think it could be the scar tissue. This will work for C-sections for anything. And then you just gently reassess that movement again. And as you do it, if that movement changes, it allows you to go, this is pretty likely where we need to start work, or at least what's going to set us along the breadcrumbs to find out where. So are you saying 
literally by placing your hand almost like a gentle reassuring touch on that scar tissue. Yeah. Oh my God. That gives me shivers. <laughs> gives me chills. And I, it, it just makes sense. Your, your body's still sending these habitual repeated signals to your brain that you're not even aware of saying danger, danger, this happened. Yeah. And so just placing your hand reassuringly. Yeah, try, try it. Try, try it with patience as well. Yeah, because yeah. after that movement assessment, if if you just do it and there's a massive change, literally seeing someone's eyebrow come up and go, can you do that again? I'm not too sure that actually works. So you take your hand off, assess, put it on again, and things change. Um, it, it really does create, I, I guess as a patient, you want to know you're doing something which is healthy. Yeah, And when you see a, a change like that, you go, actually, I know this is causing some of these issues here. Mm -hmm. um, so I, then you buy into it, then you do your, your exercises, your homework, um, and then the changes start to happen. So I think neurologically, it, it switches things around. So yeah. muscles are inhibited, um, change their pattern. Um, so that seems to be what happens when you put your hand on the area. Um, nociception, that pain response, when you gently compress the tissue, like if you hurt yourself, you might rub yourself quite hard. Um, again, what that's doing is just momentarily changing that receptor tone. And when you stop doing it, it changes back to normal again. Um, but it just allows you to figure out what's, what's going on. It's, it's really fascinating. Wow. And so you've had a case, I mean, you've had many people that you've worked with in this capacity, but also your wife too. It sounds like she has made some improvements as well definitely definitely i mean the hard thing is what i didn't realize with a small child even if you live together in lockdown finding the time when there's not a small oscar running around screaming is near enough impossible um but uh, even even the other day i scar tissue needs to heal it, so so coming in and working with that i like to work with it a little bit later I, i'm one of those guys who prefers something a bit more chronic than acute so i think physio wise um, you guys are good at treating all of it, but osteopathy-wise, I would guess slightly later on is where we start to, to, to find um, the, the, the best changes, I find anyway, personally. So I, I like to work with it after about six to eight weeks. Um, but uh, bless Magda, it's been 10 months now. And the other day, actually after listening to, to one of your podcasts, because I thought I'm going to have a little listen to, to see something. So she did some more scar release. Um, and she didn't put, put the thought process together, but she changed some stuff around with it. And there were some good things. She goes, I, I feel more sensation there now. I didn't realize that this was so stringy. But then there was a nearly unconnected kind of shoulder. She was going, oh, my shoulder's a bit icky at the moment. So I think it's because I've been holding the baby. Um, so we did some work. And again, she changed some stuff around in that scar tissue. And the knock-on effect was going up going up the chain so actually because we haven't got time really to, to to spend an hour with it we just did some some articulations um into the hip joints and just facilitated them a little bit and the shoulder pain just vanished straight away well i'm sure you're familiar with thomas myers and the anatomy trains and yep. The deep front line is, it does go all the way up from the feet all the way through the pelvic floor. For anyone listening who doesn't know this, it's a line of the way the tissues are connected in the body from the feet all the way up through the inner thighs, legs, through the pelvic floor, through the torso, all the way through the shoulders to the jaw and neck mm -hmm. area. It's fascinating. So it's 
I love talking to people who understand these connections. And yeah. I want to bring in one more thing because I know our time is coming to an end here. But I, if you don't mind, could we talk about the hypnotherapy just a little bit and yeah, how you integrate that? Because I think we've really, you've really hit on this connection between, you know, the, the bodily, physiological, anatomical, musculoskeletal things that are going on, but then this mind-body connection too. So how do you use that in your work? So I very much use it as it comes up. So I 99% of the time start biomechanically. Um, and if it's going to come up, it's going to come up. And instead of putting a lid on it, it's uh, if people want to, they can explore it. And to me, hypnotherapy is we're doing it. We're doing it every day. And I know you said that you use some of it as well. Um, and so it, it's just basically the stories we tell ourselves and the meaning we put to those stories. Um, and you can change the meaning you put to a story. Mm -hmm. uh, so I use it very much in that way. There, there's so many different ways hypnotherapy works. Um, sorry, so many different types of hypnotherapy. Um, but it all works. It all works. Um, and that's the good thing about having some of the kinesiology stuff. You can go back in and check if it's worked. So that's how I know that it all works. It's just finding the right thing for, for the person there at that time. So I think it's having, having a lot of different techniques is, is quite useful and just kind of going with the flow and seeing where they take it. Absolutely. And how do you use it with um, birth trauma? Because I know that's a big thing that actually many of my listeners and viewers um, deal with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say probably there's three routes, which normally I go down, which uh, some of them seem to, to be more regular than others. Um, there's the, the usual one where there's kind of a rewind technique, um, which I think it's been used by lots of different disciplines now. I think NLP have used it. I think the human givens guys have used it. Um, but it's, it's basically just coming from a safe place where you can watch yourself watching the event. So you dissociate yourself from it. Mm -hmm. So you don't re-traumatize yourself, which I think is massively, massively important. So I think every time we go back, you can re-traumatize yourself very easily. So that, that's one way of doing it. And then you, you kind of rewind the event and take some of the charge out, which is really, really effective. Um, there's the EMDR stuff, the eye, the eye desensitization stuff. Again, I find that's probably quite traumatic sometimes. It, it can be. I mean, I like it, um, but you do have to really go back into it again. Um, so I do use that. And then, then kind of like that inner child and the forgiveness thing, uh, making sense, particularly if it's a long time ago. Um, the, the way I see it is it's kind of like a video where when you press pause, so say if you gave birth 20 years old and you press pause on that and don't think about it and move and 50, 60 years old, something comes up. To be able to go back to that, because you always go back and see it through your eyes at that age. Um, so to be able to go back as the person with the experience and, and everything that's happened since then and go back and talk yourself through it, give yourself suggestions um, and then just facilitate that through hypnosis. It is a lovely way um, to, to, to naturally let it evolve. And I would say that's probably, um, probably the way I see it happening most because it is a very natural process 
to kind of go back through those eyes. And so we might as well go there and de-traumatize and take the learnings and move it through to every other occurrence that's happened in the future and then go into the future and take that and create um, a lovely future to step into. So yeah, that's, I would say that's one of my, I, I enjoy that one the most. And uh, I think people enjoy it as well. Um, you see wrinkles drop away, smiles on faces at the end, um, very empowering. Oh, absolutely. And it just shows your body that you're safe because our brain is just always trying to protect us. Even when we're not sure that that we, or we don't consciously, we're not consciously aware that that's what our, our brain is. Our nervous system is trying to do is protect us by those holding patterns that you were talking about, those protective closing patterns that you were talking about, you know, movement strategies. Um, yeah. and then we're just kind of constantly reliving things, even if we're not aware of it. So I love that just reintroducing safety into your system. And I also really love how you talked about neutralizing and kind of taking away the charge of the scenario through this uh, mind work. So, okay. So to recap, this has been so incredible. I feel like I could talk to you forever about this, but you basically, when you're working with somebody and you're going to send a video, which I'm super excited about. I'll put the link in the notes for sure. Um, but you assess them for their patterns of movement and you also take a history, find out, oh my gosh, okay, there may be some connection here. I, I want to, one more thing I want to kind of ask and clarify is we talked about that amazing technique of sort of putting your hand on the scar area and then retesting, reassessing those movement patterns and seeing if anything changes, but what other treatments do you offer? Do you do um, scar tissue mobilization or I know you talked about movement, but what specifically, is there anything quick you could give us? Oh, <laughs> probably not quick. <laughs> so I think from the nervous system perspective, it's, it's very specific the inputs that we work on. So there's, I know they're researching this, the guys that I did my training with originally on this, um, but if you stimulate certain areas, it upregulates or downregulates other areas. So you can you can find out basically the initial insults, and then if you treat it, the rest of it falls away underneath. And so they they've done various studies with that. So it's that's a hard one to do. Yeah. Um, but in terms of what I do for scar release, and you basically just sink your finger into the area and very gently just give it a little flick and then work your way back up the line, across the line, back along the line on the diagonals as well. And what it seems to do, uh, or one of the things it seems to do, is then it takes all the possible combinations of stretch into the nervous system. And a bit like a Rubik's Cube, if you put all the combinations in, eventually you're going to get to the perfect Rubik's Cube. And in terms of what I've tested with it, that's what, what I found. Um, not so great for nociception, but in terms of that stretch, it definitely does help. Um, so that's some homework that I give people as well. So that's that, I was, I was going to ask you kind of like a takeaway thing, like a takeaway tip people could use in addition to looking at the video that y'all send, would that be kind of your main takeaway tip is to actually maybe put your hands on your scar tissue, whether it's a C-section an episiotomy, et cetera put your hands on that scar tissue and maybe use your fingers and, and mobilize around that area, just kind of sink in and mobilize. Yeah, just very, very gently. Mm -hmm. And then when it comes to doing your movements, actually you can have some really nice effects by really somatically going into your movement homework, whatever that is. 
with your hand on your scar tissue. So yeah. if there's other things in there, just basically telling the brain it's safe as you repattern that movements. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but go gently with it. I think with all of this stuff, gentle is, is key. There's a time to put a little bit of force into to the air resin, contract a muscle to put a bit more tension in. But I think there's also a time to go gentle and slow and, and it's, a, it's a safer place for your brain. And you don't bulldoze over all the, the juicy bits of learning in there. Um, so yeah, that, that would probably be my biggest takeaway. Um, and go, go somatically because there's a difference between going from A to B and then all that little journey in the middle and all those different lines of pull, which if you just think, how far can I turn my head or my hip? You miss out on that gentle start of the tension building. Um, and then breathe into that space. I mean, it's fantastic. You could, I, I just sit and play. I was going to say I sit and play with myself a lot. I didn't do that. <laughs> you can cut that one out. Um, I'll keep that I, I play with my movements a lot and just explore it and, and just do it curiously because there's uh, some great things in there, great learning in there to find. Okay. I love this. I'm going to take, I'm going to take so much away from this conversation, but I think one thing I'm going to take away is the term go somatically. I love that. I haven't heard that before. And I love that because, you know, I, I do a lot of my exercises, some, some of my exercises that I do on YouTube in my, in my courses are slow. Like I do them slowly. And I think some people might, well, I know some people get kind of bored. It's like, oh, this is so slow. This is boring. But actually what I'm doing is I'm not just going slowly. I'm going somatically so that I'm actually feeling my body. I'm feeling every little thing that's happening. And I've found that the stronger I've become over the years, the harder the easy, slow, basic movements are because I'm using my body in a way that like I'm, every muscle is alive. I'm going somatically, right? Is that kind of what you, what you mean by go somatically is to to really feel in your body and don't just flip through the movement or try to push to the extreme? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I I take in sort of like my dance career in in, as a, a, an example, if you can move, you move and you make it look good, but you don't necessarily feel everything. Feel it. it, yeah. And that's, I think, one of the reasons dancers are always injured because they're great at making it look good, but not so great with feeling the subtleties within that. And that's not everyone. That's a gross overgeneralization. That's just me, but I'm, I'm guessing there must be a lot of us who are the same. Um, and then when you dial back into yourself, slow it down, relax into it, um, there's, a, there's everything's in there every bit of your history is still in your nervous system. Yeah. It's all there to be found. Um, and that, that's, I think that's a, a big mind blower. It is literally a storybook of everything that's happened to you and it's still there. Um, and uh, yeah, movement is great for working with it. But yeah. uh, then, then again, there's that 20% times when movement doesn't touch the sides and you go, what's what's the other bit in there it's, it's yeah. a great puzzle and i think it's going to keep it's definitely going to keep me thinking until i'm old and even grayer so uh, yeah <laughs> it's, uh, it's it's a it's a good journey it is oh my gosh what a what a fantastic conversation so how can people get in touch with you if they want to learn more and also do you do remote consult uh, consultations yeah yeah I, th- I think the remote thing's been very interesting because you haven't got 
the luxury of palpation anymore. So honing the visuals um, and actually some of the kinesiology work you can still do as well. Um, so yeah, I do remote stuff. Uh, the best thing is probably via my website, all the details are on there, uh, which is, if I remember it rightly, www.danielbaines.co.uk. And uh, yeah, just send me a message. And uh, it'd be lovely, lovely to, to chat. But I'll record some videos for you. So hopefully those will give people a really good start to, to start feeling how their bones, how their joints move. Wonderful. So I'll put a link to Daniel's episiotomy blog post that I referred to in the show notes and then the links that he sends me. So Dan, thank you so much. And uh, we'll just sign off here. Goodbye, everyone. Thanks again, Dan. Pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. And if this podcast was helpful for you today, please share it with a friend. Tell them, you know, what you learned and how it's going to be helpful and amazing for them to talk about this stuff. Don't forget to subscribe and also check the show notes for all the links you need, including how to follow me on Instagram and YouTube. And until next time, remember, you don't have to be an expert, but every woman should know a bit. We'll see you next time.